I'm excited to be here this morning uh, for another session. And I just have to say something before I go any further. I hope it's okay if I use my cell phone because my notes are on my cell phone. Um, so don't think any less of me. If you see me staring at my phone throughout the day, I am studying for the preaching. Probably, maybe. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I hope you're listening to the words of that song. I know that song is familiar. It's one that I, I love and just the concept of, of rivers of living water. I think the Lord was in the selection of that special this morning. Verse three, the girls just sang, cleanse me, oh, cleanse me, my savior. Make me a channel today. Empty, fill me and use me. Teach me to trust and obey. Then, and then only. Lord Jesus, through me the rivers can flow. Thus and thus only will others learn thy great fullness to know. You know, uh, there are, um, I think most of us understand the concept of a channel and the fact that there is an unbelievable, unlimited, unstoppable river of power that we have. Through our union with Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is a power that God intended to change the world. Um, when we receive power, uh, Jesus told us in Acts 1, um, he told us to wait because you can't change the world until you receive that power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you will be witnesses unto me in your local community, in the regions around your community and beyond. But you know, that power that we have inside of us can only come out of us as we've been cleansed. If you could turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 7, please, here this morning. Joshua chapter 7. Um, had a plan for messages I was going to be preaching here this week and if you ever want to keep your plan, just don't go to a prayer meeting. <laughs> um, I was here in the church building on Saturday with my daughter, Eva, and I saw the Saturday evening prayer meeting was going on. And I said, hey, Eva, we need to stop by there. We need to at least drop in for a little bit. And uh, while we were in there, as I was seeking the Lord uh, with others, just the Lord very clearly laid on my heart that this message that I'm about to preach is something that we need here today. Um, before we dive into the text, I want to read you a quote from R.A. Torrey, one of the great revivalists of the early 20th century. He said this, he said, I can give you a prescription that will bring a revival to any church or community or any city on earth. The prescription is as follows. First, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest that I am to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together to pray for a revival until God opens the heavens and come da comes down. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to use as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. That is all. This is sure to bring a revival to any church or community. I've given this prescription, he said, around the world. It's been taken by many churches and many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed, and it cannot 
fail. Listen, young people, I want you to understand God intends to move in our hearts and in our midst, and God intends to move us out into this world. We have everything we need through Christ in us, the power of the Spirit of God in us. God intends for the rivers to gush through us. But the prayer of our hearts needs to be, cleanse me, oh, cleanse me. Then and then only will the rivers flow. What's holding back God's power from flowing through the students of Baptist College of Ministry? What is it that's holding back that which can change our community, our state, and our world for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what's holding it back. The same thing that held back God's blessing for Joshua and the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 7. Before we dive into the text, I want to give a little background. Joshua had a promise. The promise was every place where on the sole of your foot shall tread, it will be yours. God promised that he would fight for the Israelites, that every battle they'd fight, they would win. That was an unbelievable promise. And it wasn't just theory for Joshua and for his armies and for the people. They saw it happen in the first battle on the land there at the city of Jericho. He had a precedent there in that city. They didn't lift a finger. They just obeyed God, marched around the walls of Jericho, did what God told them to do, not relying on any battle strategy or tactic other than obedience to and dependence upon God to give them the victory. And when they simply obeyed and dependence upon the Lord, the walls blew open and toppled outward and they marched into that city, exhilarated, I'm sure, with the actual demonstration of the spirit and of power that they had seen with their own eyes. And yet they also had a problem. The problem was God had given specific commands on how they were supposed to go about that particular conquest, that particular first, uh, that first battle. God had made it very clear the spoils of the battle are not yours. In other battles, the spoils will be yours. In other battles, the things that you find you can take, but not in this first battle. This first battle was representative with the fact that it was God's power that was going to give them victory. And therefore, the spoils of this battle were to be devoted to God, as it says, also devoted to destruction. In other words, no matter what spoils you find, hands off, people. And yet I think most of you know that it's not what happened. They didn't keep their hands off. Chapter 7, verse number 1 here, the word of God says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. When it says accursed thing, that's what he's speaking of, those things that were devoted to destruction, those things that God said, hands off, don't touch. These things are dedicated to the Lord to be destroyed. He says they committed a trespass in this matter of the accursed thing. For here's what happened. Achim, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. This man, when told not to do something, did it anyway. When God gave his command and said, don't cross this line, this man crossed that line. And it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. You see, Achan, 
had taken of the accursed thing. Achan, when God said no, Achan had done what God had forbidden. And as we're going to see here in the text, not only did he cross the line into disobedience, he tried to hide it. And it was his disobedience and the subsequent hiding, the deception surrounding that disobedience that caused, as we see here, the anger of the Lord to be kindled. And it is what quenched God's blessing upon their forward movement and even independence on the Lord. What happened when Achan had taken of the accursed thing, when he hid it and lied about it, here in verse number two, it says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Avon. This is the next city on their conquest map. Uh, it says, uh, And spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. I'm sure these men were pumped about the next battle. I remind you, though, here from the vantage point of this text, we know that there are big problems in Israel. There's a problem looming on the horizon. Israel, Joshua, and the rest of the men had no idea. All they knew was God just did what he promised. We just saw God's promise uh, demonstrated before our own eyes, and we are pumped about the next battle. What's going to happen next? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be epic going to be supernatural right and so I frankly don't fault Joshua for this when there are other times Gibeon for instance where he should have sought the Lord and he didn't but frankly when I look at this text I feel he has no reason to think they would have anything other than what God promised they would have I think he fully expected God another victory I think he fully expected for God's power to be present in all of its gloriousness and so Joshua He sent people up. It says in verse 4, So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men. What happens? What happens when there's hidden sin in your midst and you step out to obey God? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. There's defeat. There's discouragement. And at times there is disillusionment. You know, before I fully develop that, we got to talk about this concept of hidden sin for just a second. Because, you know, I'm speaking to a group of young people. I've been in your seat. I remember, in fact, um, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember sitting in a spiritual awakening conference. And I remember sitting in the seat and I remember thinking in my mind, there are a few things that happened over Christmas break. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure if these were things that I was supposed to talk to my parents about. I wasn't sure if these were things that I was supposed to uncover and expose to those who needed to know. I didn't know. There was a question mark in my mind. And I remember before the service started, during the song service, I was torn up about it because I wanted to be right with God like I think many of you want to be. I want God's hand in my life. I want God to use me me to the fullest potential, but I didn't know what to do. And I remember saying, God, if you want me to take this matter that I'm wrestling about and talk to my parents about it, would you have Dr. Jim preach on Joshua chapter seven here in this service? And I will never forget Dr. Jim stood to the pulpit. He said, please turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter seven. And I thought, oh boy, I know what I need to do. Couldn't have given an invitation right there, but I had to sit through the rest of that sermon. It was torture. 
but it was glorious all at the same time. But you know what? I am no dummy. Stuff happened in your life over break. Maybe there's been stuff happening for a long time. And you have defeat in your life. You've got discouragement in your life. And some of you think that the spirit-filled life, this whole matter of God's life flowing through you, doesn't work because it hasn't seemed to work for you. What is the hidden sin that could be in your midst? I have a few things written down. And some of these things, forgive me, they're going to seem just straight up like, what? You're talking about this among BCM students? Just bear with me. Listen, as I've traveled and as I've preached, I realize there's all kinds of garbage below the surface of the greatest looking people. The greatest looking people. Listen, what are things, what are infractions, what are sins that are often hidden? I don't, I'm not just talking BCM students, though these definitely could be represented here. How about this? Dirty novels or podcasts. You know, I don't know what it's like. You see, maybe somebody recommends to you a book and you begin reading it and shortly into it, you're like, mm, this does not stand up with the spirit and uh, whatever the wording is in the handbook and intent of Baptist College of Ministry. But you think, well, you know, I spent money on it. I might as well finish it. Or, you know, there's that podcast out there. Maybe it's a series that you followed before and there was nothing objectionable. But, you know, the next, uh, the next section in the series, right, the next series that they release has some really questionable things in it. And instead of listening to the voice of the Spirit of God and turning it off, instead you keep on listening and you get to the end and you feel soiled. You feel ashamed and you know you shouldn't have done it. And you do everything you can just to... Keep it under wraps and keep it hidden. How about secret relationships? Oh, I've been around here a long time. I've been around here a long time. I've seen relationships that happen under the surface. I remember things happening when I was in school. Individuals, you know, they get eyes for each other during the semester. And maybe it might not turn into a full-out physical relationship. Maybe it's just, you know, a little bit below the surface. Maybe it's eyes across the table at lunch. Maybe it is just a little bit of extra familiarity. Maybe it even turns into some covert communication via text or other means. Maybe you're the kind of person you put the WhatsApp status out there and keep checking who watched it to see if so-and-so checked that status. may not be a relationship that's fully budded, but it's, it's budding. Secret crushes. Individuals that you have no reason to believe are God's will for you, and yet you just can't get your heart off of that person. It's not time. It's not the right time. It's not the right way. It may not even be the right person. You don't know that. But you in your heart have got these things that are developing under the surface and you know it crosses the line into disobedience against God and you do everything you can to keep it under wraps and hide it. Maybe it was questionable YouTube videos or channels that you consumed over break. Listen, I know there's all kinds of stuff out there. All kinds of stuff. It's entertaining. It's fun. But you know what? It doesn't take a whole lot of YouTube consumption to end up watching things that you regret. Even certain channels, there could be things on the channel that are fine, that are innocuous, yet another video comes on the channel that is not fine. It is not innocuous. 
Maybe it's certain habits of different kinds of entertainment that you consumed over break that hurt your conscience. You knew full well you crossed the line into something God did not want you to cross into. And your conscience is hurt. Maybe it's stealing things. Oh man, why would I bring this up to BCM students? Because you're made out of the same flesh the rest of us are. You know, it could be over break. You find yourself in a particular situation. Maybe it's a work situation. There are certain things that you're allowed to use while you're at work and it comes home with you. Maybe as hours you clocked, you didn't work. Maybe it was items you used that just ended up in your possession and you just haven't gotten around to returning them again. Maybe it's things you just straight up took and thought they're not going to miss it. Maybe it is hidden lusts and pornography. Maybe you've, the entire time you've been here at BCM, have had a thought problem. You, in your mind, regularly and continuously find yourself fantasizing about maybe images you've seen in the past, videos you've seen, maybe individuals who aren't associated in no person you know, but you in your mind can hearken back to those screenshots in your mind and you spend time dwelling on those things. Maybe it's other individuals here in the college or around here at the church, that you find yourself drifting beyond that which is appropriate in your mind to think thoughts that you ought not think. Maybe you imagine yourself going out on a date or a court or whatever you call those things, a dort, all right, with that individual. Maybe you find yourself imagining things that may not be as innocuous at that as that. You find yourself Imagining all kinds of inappropriate situations and playing them out as long as your conscience will allow you to. Pushing yourself to the very edge of what is appropriate and more often than not you go over that edge. More often than not. Could be unethical business deals. I don't know if anybody here has their own business, right? Or has done transactions with individuals. Listen, I'll tell you what, when it came to my truck, I found myself in a bit of a quandary because here I got a truck that had uh, required federal emissions equipment that had been removed from it. And at first the plan was I was supposed to receive that truck, right? They were going to give it, put a new engine in it and give it back to me. And I found myself thinking, how in the world can I sell this thing, right? In good conscience. But you know what? Some of you don't have any problem with holding information to make a buck. Being deceptive or purposefully not sharing. You know, when I sold my old trailer, the listing that I put on Facebook was probably the longest listing that has ever been put on Facebook Marketplace for a trailer. I put everything that was wrong with it at that time. I put everything that had been wrong with it that I fixed. And I put everything that I foresaw that would be wrong on it. And you would have thought nobody would have touched that thing with a 10-foot pole. But you know what? The guy who bought it, he told me in the back of the parking lot, he said, you know, you want to know why I'm buying your trailer? Because you were honest. Because you told me everything, and I figured if you told me everything, there wasn't going to be crazy things that you didn't tell me about. You know, some of you don't do that. There are people you've swindled. There are people you've sold stuff to, and you say, ah, I'm never going to see them again. Ah, it's not a gospel opportunity. Ah, it's no big of a deal. But listen, friends, you were underhanded and deceptive in the way you dealt with those things. It's crossing the line into deception. Maybe you've got other thought issues, you've got anger issues, you've got people you cuss out in your mind. 
Some of you maybe were saved from a background of foul language and your mouth has cleaned up, at least the things you say out loud, but they still pop out in your mind every once in a while. You don't want anybody to know about it. Maybe you've got a constant stream of covetousness inside. So-and-so gets a new device and it drives you nuts. You want one. Maybe there's resentment in your heart and in your mind. You feel like so-and-so or such-and-such hasn't been fair with you. They've not treated you right. And you try your very best to keep it bottled up inside. And you're hiding it. Jealousy. Betrayal. You've genuinely stabbed somebody in the back. Tax evasion. A lot of random stuff here, right? Listen, I happen to know there are individuals in this room and people who have worked, and I'm thankful this has gotten better here recently, but you work a job and get paid under the table and never claim it on your taxes. Something called Schedule C. You should figure it out sometime, all right? You know, I I just have to say, that is wrong. That is sin. And you may never be audited by the IRS for those things. But God knows. God knows. Slander. Things you've made up and said about other people to tear them down. Matters of personal gratification that take place in secret. Ways in which you meet your own needs. The idolatry of sports, perhaps. Television. Perhaps there are some, and I mention this only because I feel like this could be an absolutely essential part of someone's freedom here in this room. You know, the more I have children, the more I have younger uh, children, uh, mixed uh, boys and girls in my family, the more I realize as they grow and get older that I'm going to have to play, play certain protections and have certain talks with my children to make sure that things don't happen in the home. And I'm going to be careful with what I say here this morning. Some of you here in this room have not been careful with your siblings. Some of you have crossed some pretty serious lines within the home. And you have done everything possible to hide that information. In fact, there's some of you, I'm sure, here in this room, you've heard stuff, you've heard preaching about hidden sin, and you've dealt with all kinds of things. You've dealt with uh, the, the surface stuff. But what happens is sometimes when a preacher preaches, God brings those moments and interactions and instances in your mind of things that happened in your home, perhaps in your bedroom. In certain circumstances, God brings those back to mind and you in your mind say, there ain't no way I'm going there. There ain't no way I'm going there. Mm-mm. Nuh-uh. No. There's some large families represented here in this room. Listen, the bigger my family, the more I realize stuff can happen under the radar that I as a parent am completely unaware of. And can I tell you, do you want the rivers of water to flow through you? Do you want the power of God to impact the world through your life? Then there are some heavy and serious things that may need to be brought out to the table and dealt with. I get no pleasure from saying this kind of stuff. And I recognize the mess this could cause on the other side of this message. 
But God loves the whole world and you're an important part of reaching it. And you can go through revival meeting after revival meeting and service after service fighting tooth and nail against God, desperately desiring victory, yet unwilling, unwilling to deal with that one thing that God has put his holy finger on time and time and time again, and you're not going to go there. And can I tell you, God has mercy drops for you. God can use you in moments of desperation. I'm not going to tell you that God's grace is completely foreign and untouchable because sometimes I think what happens is we put it off, right? We put it off and we find ourselves in a crisis situation. We say, God, help. And because God loves that person or God just wants to show you there is grace available for you, he blesses in spite of what it is you're hiding and the things you've been refusing to deal with. And God blesses and what can happen is on the other side, we say, oh, I guess I didn't need to deal with that. Hmm. Oh, guess it wasn't that essential for me to have God's power. See, I just had God's power there. And we write off the conviction of the Holy Spirit because God in his mercy blessed. Listen, what happens when you keep that hidden sin hidden under your tent where no one else can see it? As I said, what happens is defeat. Look at the end of verse 4. It says, And they fled before the men of Ai. It says, And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shevarim, and smote them in the going down. You know what happens when you refuse to deal with the sin in your camp? You find yourself standing on the edge of a battle expecting victory, and instead you find defeat. Some of you feel like God's a million miles away from you. The victories that you hear preached about from the pulpit are as foreign to you as anything else in this world. And I would like to submit to you, it is possible that one of the reasons why is because there's something you're unwilling to deal with. There's somewhere you won't go as far as sin in your midst. And what can happen is that defeat, that sin, that infraction that is left undetected, that is left undealt with becomes the very catalyst that produces more defeat in your life. And that's because God says he resists the proud. The reason why you won't deal with it is because you're proud. You don't want anybody to know. Not only does it result in defeat, if you continue looking here, it will also leave you not only defeated, it will also leave you discouraged. Look at the end of verse 5. It says, Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. Here we find they're having a pity party. Their hearts melt. There's this bottom of their stomach dropping down in their drawers and they find themselves feeling as if, oh, there's no hope for us. We're through. We're finished. And I am convinced there are individuals who live under what is called clinical depression. People who are constantly down on themselves, constantly discouraged, constantly in a state of depression that are doing so because what they see God promise, they do not see in their lives, and that is discouraging. It's discouraging to feel like you're the only one in the room that can't find victory. But I'll tell you, you can. We're getting there. Not only do you, will it leave you defeated, not only will it leave you discouraged, it will also leave you disillusioned. 
Look at verse 7. Joshua hears before the Lord, complaining before him. And he says, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites? And all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And here it's as if uh, Joshua, forgive me if I said Paul, I'm used to speaking out of the Pauline epistles, all right? Here Joshua is saying, what are you going to do about it, God? It's almost like Joshua is blaming God for the defeat that he found in front of him. It's almost as if here he's saying, listen, God, look at what's going to happen. You let us down. You failed us. You promised we'd win, but we were defeated. And this is going to go down bad. Just think of the consequences. And it's almost as if this disillusionment that is forming in his heart is breeding a cynicism about God's ability to deliver them in the future or a cynicism about God's intention to deliver them at all. He's saying, what are you going to do about it? I have spoken to people in that lobby back there who've grown up in this church, who've heard the same preaching many of you have heard, who looked at me in the face and said, it doesn't work. I'm talking here 10 plus years ago. I know of people who have developed theological systems because uh, that, that are contrary to what the scripture teaches because they, in their time here, have tried the spirit-filled life and it didn't seem to work with them and they have concluded it doesn't work. They've written whole books that's foundational uh, presupposition is that it doesn't work. Listen, you can develop whole theological systems on the basis of disillusionment with God's promises. And I would argue, while I don't know the heart of any, every individual that may have said those kinds of things, I do know this, God is no liar. And what he promises is true. And if we find our lives aren't squaring up with what God promises, the problem's not with God, my friend. The problem is somewhere with you. And in this story, the problem was there was sin. There was sin in the camp. See, not only do you need to look at where hidden sin will take you, secondly, you need to listen to God's diagnosis because if you found yourself in a situation where your life isn't squaring up with your expectation of what you see in the Word of God, it's a very difficult place to be in. There could have been a number of different reasons for the defeat that Joshua and his people were experiencing. But thankfully, as we're going to see in verse number 10, God spoke. And God put his holy finger, as we mentioned last night, upon the exact point of departure from God's power. Look at what it says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Can I say this, young person? The place for you to be is not down on your face in discouragement. It is not down in the depths of defeat. It is not wallowing in the despair of, of your sin. It's not where God wants you to be. And that's not where God wants you to stay. And if you found yourself wallowing for a while, listen up. He says, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Why are you lying there like that, Joshua? Here's the problem, he says in verse 11. Israel hath 
sinned. And they have also transgressed. They have broken my covenant, which I commanded them. Here's how they did it. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled. That is deceived also. And they've put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, that's why. The children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Because they had taken what God had devoted to destruction, they themselves became devoted to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. What we find here is God points out that there was disobedience. There was disobedience. Here, he says, is where you cross the line. You know, as I'm speaking, God's doing that in in many of your hearts here right at this moment. You've got a real playing in your mind right now of something that happened over Christmas break, of something that happened before you came to school, something that happened during your teenage years, of something that happened a long time ago. And I'm telling you, don't dismiss that. Don't dismiss that. That is God doing what he did right here, putting his finger on the point of departure. There was disobedience and there was deception. There was deception. Listen, I recognize that what I'm preaching here might drudge up some old memories and some things that you've already dealt with that are already under the blood. I do not want you to get twisted up about those things. Some of you have some very difficult situations that you've come from, very terrible decisions that you've made in the past, but the best you've known how, you've dealt with it properly, and we're going to look about how to deal with it properly here in just a minute. But listen, if you have properly dealt with something, and if you have truly confessed and forsaked that sin, you have mercy You have forgiveness. Do not continue to be tortured by those memories of the past. And yet I know there are some here in this room that the Spirit of God is saying you haven't dealt with it properly yet. You may have made an attempt to. You may have done some things, but you've not thoroughly dealt with it. See, when you have deceived, when you have endeavored to cover specifically and intentionally cover those things so no one else finds out about it. You're the one he's talking about here. And he found himself in a dilemma. Um, If you look at verse 13, um, here he says, this is God's solution for what's going on here. He says, up, sanctify the people. He's speaking to Joshua and say, here's what you're to tell the people. Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. That word tomorrow is important, as we'll see in just a second. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord God shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man, and it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Why did I highlight those two time elements? Because this, you got to picture the scene. God is speaking to Joshua. Joshua does not have an email chain that he can send the message out to everyone. 
He doesn't have a WhatsApp group that he can text everybody about this. No, what's going to have to happen is the night before this meeting, he was going to have to send messengers throughout the camp and these messengers would show up. Whatever their process was, I imagine in my mind, they'd show up to the tents and say, Joshua received a message from the Lord. Someone in our camp transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And tomorrow we're going to gather and then God's going to reveal who it was and they'll be stoned with stones and burned with fire. Have a good night. And there, Achan would have received that message just like everyone else in the camp. Achan would have heard that God was going to deal with him the next day. It was coming out. Achan would have heard Moses say, be sure your sin will find you out. He would have heard that. He would have known. The God of Israel knows all, sees all. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, though that was written later. I'm sure they knew about it. And you know what? He had a choice. He had a dilemma. Two choices there that night. Keep in mind, he would have received the message the night before because it says tomorrow this is going to happen. And therefore, he had from the moment he received the message until the time when it was all coming out, he had a choice to make during that time. Am I going to take the initiative and march down to Joshua's tent and say, Joshua, there's something you need to know? Or am I going to risk detection? Am I going to come clean? Or am I going to pretend the message was for someone else? You can sit in this room and you can hear this message and you can think, oh, I know who this message is for when God's playing a reel in your mind. You might say it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure Achan was saying that himself the next day. As God was slowly but surely narrowing down from family from tribe to family to specific narrower family. In fact, you look at verse 16, it says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken, and he, talk, and he brought his household man by man. And, and I, I just want you to imagine this here, Achan standing there thinking, well, maybe it wasn't me. I doubt he slept that night. I'm sure God was pummeling him on the inside. It's you. You need to go down and talk to Joshua. It's you. You need to go deal with this. It's you. You need to go come clean. But for what reason, for whatever reason, he did not. And here he finds before his very eyes, the walls are closing in until Joshua looks directly at him and points his finger at him and says, it's you. And at that point, He could no longer take the initiative and take advantage of God's mercy. Oh, there's mercy when you come clean on your own. Whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Listen, friends, there will be consequences, but they won't be as bad as if you got caught. People need to stop texting me while I'm preaching. You know, you have a choice. What do you need to do? What do you need to do? You need to do what Joshua did here. You need to lynch the ache. And again, I'm running out of time here. Here in the passage, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 19, Joshua is staring face to face with the reason for the defeat in their midst. And Joshua has an obligation before God to lynch the Achan. 
It says, And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. Here's the first thing that needs to happen if you are going to lynch the Achan in your life. By the way, we're not going to have a special kind of service after this where we take individuals in our midst who have hidden sin that they've been hiding over Christmas break and take them up back, build a bonfire and stone them with stones and burn them with fire. Don't worry, that's not what we're going to do. Because the real question is not who is the Achan in the student body. The question is what are the Achans in your life? You are the Joshua. You are the one who has the choice whether you deal with it or not. Joshua says what needs to happen is you need to make confession unto him. First thing you need to do is make confession unto God. You need to expose your sin to God. But honestly, with the student body that we have and the fact that many of you love the Lord and you truly want to serve him and you want to be right with God, I'm sure that if stuff happened over break, you've already talked to God about it. I'm sure you've already said, God, it was terrible. God, it shouldn't have happened. God, I'm so sorry. God, I don't want that kind of thing to ever happen ever again. Perhaps you spent years talking to God, bringing it before him over and over again, agreeing with him about it. That's a good step, but that's not the only step because Joshua here says, make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. See, not only do you need to expose the sin to God, you also need to expose the sin to man. Sometimes there are people that it is comfortable to talk about with your sin issues. Some might say, oh, I talked to my friend. I'm okay, right? Maybe. If your friend's the one you offended. However, consider, Achan told his wife, and apparently that wasn't good enough. What's the deal? Achan didn't offend his wife. He offended God. And furthermore, his sin didn't just affect his wife. It affected the nation. He broke the nation's rules, and therefore, he had to talk to the person in that nation who needed to know. Listen, young person, you break the rules of this school, the school needs to know. Needs to know. I don't care what your daddy says, the school needs to know. You break the rules of your home, your parents need to know. I don't care what your friend says. Frankly, I don't care what your mama says. If, if you broke the rules of your home, your dad needs to know. There are people in your life, and you know who they are, who need to know. I would imagine for many of you that could be the dean of men. It could be the dean of women, whoever it might be in your life that God has specifically placed there to help you move forward. They need to know. Having Doc Shaw back there, I remember at one point there was something that happened over break. I, he was the dean of men at the time when I was a student. I remember thinking, I need to talk to Dr. Shaw about something. I had a conversation with him. I don't know if he remembers it. I don't remember it super clearly, but I remember it happening. And some of you have done that, but there are some areas you've not been willing to go. You need to expose the sin. You also need to expel the sin. I should be done here shortly. Verse 24 here, um, after the forced confession, which, by the way, is never as good as an uh, initiated confession here. That forced confessions never work. Verse 24, it says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. You see, you need to expel this sin fully. Sometimes what happens is we deal with part of the sin, but we don't deal with all of the sin. We deal with a portion. 
And again, I've spoken in times past about the onion. What happens with an onion is you peel a layer of the onion. It gets into your eyes and you cry, right? Because it's hard to peel an onion. It burns to peel an onion. No one likes to peel an onion. And when you look down, there's more onion. And sometimes dealing with sin feels like peeling an onion. You deal with a layer of what God is putting his finger on and you cry and it's hard and it hurts and it burns and you feel good for a while. Then you look down later and oh no, there's more. And what can happen is you can give up. You can say, forget this. There's never going to be an end to this. I'm not going through that pain again. But what you do not realize is God expects you to deal with the sin fully, not just a part of it. God knows you can't handle the whole thing at once. And so God is selective and he is realistic in what he puts his holy finger in your heart about. And your job is to say yes to him and to do what he says. There will come a day when the onion is gone. I don't have time to tell you when I remember that day happened in my life, but I do remember when that day happened in my life. I looked down and the onion was gone. Oh, I had been through years, probably five, six, seven years, eh, probably less than that, of dealing with things from my past, from my rebellious years, things that I was ashamed of, conversations I thought, there is no way I'm ever going to have that, and ended up having it because God's hand on my life was more important than saving face and being ashamed. Listen, every man of God that God uses with power is someone who's had to go through this process in some way, shape, or form. You will never be what God wants you to be. You will never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish until you're willing to go all the way through with this matter of confession and confess it all, unload the truck. He expelled the sin fully, fervently, and finally. Again, I don't have time to fully develop them, but he hated the sin. He wasn't saying, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this. But no, the Lord shall trouble thee this day, Joshua said. And he dealt with that thing in such a way that it was never coming back. There was a pile of stones on top of Achan and his family and Achan would never do that again. And you need to be willing to so deal with your sin in such a way, in such a even drastic way. It's not coming back again. This has been a largely negative message, but I assure you it's for a positive reason because... God is in you and God wants to flow through you. The promises of God are real and they are true and they work. And if they don't work, there's always a reason why. The good news here in this passage, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, uh, actually the end of chapter 7, it says, Wherefore, I'm sorry, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And when you get into chapter 8, I don't have time to look at it at all, but they went back to the same city they had been before. And where before was defeat, after was unbelievable, supernatural, God-enabled victory. But that victory will not come unless we're willing to humble ourselves and deal with the sin in the camp. Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning? It's crunch time. I know the Spirit of God has spoken to many hearts here or God would not have led me to this message here this morning. And my sober and somber challenge to you here this morning is this. Lynch the Aiken, friends. I know many of you have already talked to God 
And in fact, in just a moment, not yet, but in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation and you're going to, we're going to invite you. If you've not yet had a conversation with God about it, we're going to invite you to take that first step and to agree with God about your sin. But if you've already done that or after you do that, I'm going to urge you here this morning, find someone. If you need to make a line, make a line. In fact, I want to encourage Pastor Swanson, any other leaders and administrators who are around to be available and ready. But I want to urge you here, if there's something you need to uncover, there's sin you need to expose, then now is the time to deal with it. Praise the Lord, God's given us the next hour for most of us free. And I know, I believe Pastor's got a little bit of give there for you freshmen. I'm sure he would much rather you write with God than to be in his class here in this next hour. But I want to urge you here this morning, do not go another step without lynching the Aiken. I want everyone to stand, please, here this morning. Everyone go ahead and stand. I'm not going to have a hand raising, but in a moment... When the piano plays, if you need to talk to God about it, do that first. If you've already done that and you need to go talk to somebody about it, I want to urge you, make your way down the aisle to the back. Someone will meet you there. And we're going to deal with this here today. We're going to deal with this. As the piano plays, you do what God is telling you to do.